You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Greetings, fellow book lovers. So welcome to the newest podcast on the Geek Elite Media Network. For our love of pages, I can I can remember what our podcast is. <laughs> it's new. Okay. <laughs> it's our pilot episode, so please do forgive us for the fumbling around. We will get better at this. Uh, but we have decided, three of us that you will recognize from the Geek Elite Media Network, uh, Elizabeth, and joining me is Jessica. You want to introduce yourself? Hey, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Steven. Steven. So we decided that while Geek Elite does a lot with all things television, movies, digital forms of entertainment, one of the great things about quarantine is time to get back to the classic love of reading. So we are fairly avid readers, writers combined. And we thought it would be fun to get together and do a book club. As with most book clubs, or at least all of the book clubs I have belonged to, it has always included a beverage mm-hmm. on and a fair amount of gossiping. We'll try and keep the gossiping to a limited amount. Because we don't <laughs> no, want promises. To no promises. No promises. <laughs> throw people too far under the bus on actual publicized <laughs> podcast. I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Jessica, who's going to be our resident mixologist for this podcast, to talk about what beverage selections means for this podcast. So with every book that we're going to be reading for the podcast, I'll be thinking up of a cocktail as well as a mocktail to go along with the book, because some people like alcohol, some people don't, and both options are perfectly okay. Um, so I'll be just getting inspired through things in the book. I already kind of sort of have one for our current book and I'm excited to share it with you guys in the next podcast. And yeah, I don't, I just, I've always been fascinated with mixology. I don't really, I have a ton of experience, not a bartender or anything, but I just, I love creating drinks. So I'm excited. Love it. Quick question, Jessica. If people want to drink along with us while they listen, will they be able to get these recipes anywhere but by listening? I'll be sure to post the recipe as well as possibly doing a video of me making the recipe as well. Um, And I'll post it alongside probably the first podcast of the book that we're starting. So that way, as we read the book, then they'll be able to make the cocktail. And we'll carry the cocktail mocktail through. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So the general structure for this, at least as we have it now, and all things subject to change, depending on how you all react to it, if you want us to add something, change something, move things around, please let us know. We would really love feedback on this because book clubs are about collaboration. So Mm -hmm. very much the style of this. And Mm -hmm. listeners are included in that collaboration. So our plan... We are going to start, we've started a new book, started our first book. It was picked by Steven. Yeah. So when we start a new book, there will be a forward 
done by the person who picked it, telling us a little bit about why they chose the book, what they love about it. Um, and then we will get into the meat of our discussion. We are going to break these books down differently for each one. At mm -hmm. the start, we will discuss how we're going to be reading this book and in what sections. And then with each episode, we'll conclude with some footnotes because there's always context to every book and context makes the reading fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> at the conclusion of any book, we are going to go ahead and do a quick afterward wrap up and a 30 second elevator pitch for the next book to hopefully encourage you to come back and listen to us some more. So that kind of structure in mind, I'll go ahead and throw it over to Steven to get us into our first book. First and foremost, thank you for joining me. It's good to have you guys here. And that includes you guys, listeners and watchers. <clears throat> uh, so I, I love um, classic science fiction book covers quite possibly more than any piece of fine arts or any other artistic endeavor, those book covers are glorious. Um, so I picked up, um, shortly before I picked up this book, I picked up a copy of War of the Worlds. And mm -hmm. then this one happened afterwards because the War of the Worlds cover was so good, it cast a beautiful sheen onto all other classic sci-fi book covers that I came across in this time. So I picked up the time machine because I was enamored with my previous purchase um the time machine is a book that i enjoy very much as an exercise in science fiction storytelling and very thinly veiled metaphor <laughs> and it was an interesting one to traverse again so, so that's now, quick, this one quick, comes. quick question Stephen, because i i fully support choosing books based off of book covers i um, i am and why i pick wine based upon <laughs> name so you know i'm there I'm there, but I'm curious because you must have a different copy than I got. I Pepper <laughs> does not look all that entertaining. You guys have you guys have the other one. My the other one is buried somewhere else in here, but I can grab that War of the Worlds one for you because I actually ended up listening to an audiobook for this to make sure that I could keep up with when we're supposed to do this. Um, so, uh, do you guys want to see that War of the Worlds cover? Yeah. Okay, vamp for me, and then I'll be right back here. To just just like talk a little bit at, at the audience, introduce yourselves, and then um, tell tell your familiarity with the time machine that you had oh. before reading it. While I grab right. that. Okay. So well, I have read the time machine once before this. Um, mm. Part of pseudo required summer reading, you know, where you get those long lists and they they tell you in high school like you have to read yeah. over the summer. This was definitely one I chose because I ran out of time after reading. Machiavelli's The Prince, and then the picture Ooh. of Gray. So I was like, which so, one is shortest? Time Machine. Time, time Machine, machine yeah. it is. Yeah. I, I hadn't never read it before, but I had watched the movie, and I really liked the movie. Okay. So okay. I was like, yeah, I'm all for reading the book after I liked the movie. I never, I have never seen the movie. That's pretty good. Cool. It's um, different. Yeah. I, feel, I feel weird. Oh, well, I don't want to talk too much about the movie because um, that, that'll be later on. But mm -hmm. I feel weird about liking the movie after liking the book mm -hmm. because it's got so many of the hallmarks of classic, like extrapolating and making a Hollywood film out of something. Yeah. By contrast. But so let's see this War of the Worlds cover that got us into <laughs> this mess. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the cover. I remember that cover working in a bookstore. 
it, it's it's got the classic font. There's like this the gooey slime, the like little I, lights. Ugh. It's Perfect. it's wonderful. It's a freaking joy to behold. And it smells exactly like you you imagine a book that has this much yellowing to the pages. Ugh. And cheap pulpy printing would smell like. It's lovely. I don't know why, but the smell of books is just both mm-hmm. old and new books. They have very yeah. different scents, but I just I adore both mm-hmm. for different reasons. Just like I want the scent of a new book like in the morning and an old book in the evening. I'm going to go ahead and say there's probably a candle company for that. There is. is. (laughs) At least the ones that I've gotten smell mostly like new books, which I guess probably an easier scent to produce than old books. Mm -hmm. I would like both so that I can switch off my morning routine versus my evening routine. I feel like it's just, it it would just be like a bad sandalwood candle. Like I don't, Sandalwood is wonderful, so I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I don't know. As a dude, I hate sandalwood. They try to sell me that stuff every single freaking day when I go to stores. Yeah, I, I worked oh. in a fragrance store, and I hate sandalwood. Yeah, it's doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's, that's what got us here for this one. So that's what got us to the time machine. The time mm. machine. So we read the first eight or first seven chapters I read the first eight chapters. Yeah, I was going to say, I definitely did eight. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did. I Roman numerals are throwing me off. It's been a very long day. <laughs> <laughs> we read the first eight chapters, so we decided to do this book in half because it's so... It's, it's tiny. It's tiny. But... <laughs> I appreciate the assist on the visuals. <laughs> I am I'm all for it. <laughs> you listening steven is using his war of the world book to mimic because <laughs> of my flamboyant flailing of our books because <laughs> we talk with our hands pretty much incessantly um <laughs> actually this is how i have felt about this book <laughs> I- i'm curious um so I- this isn't about plot or anything how, how have you guys enjoyed the writing style? The actual prose of something that is older in this fashion? I've, I've, I've read older novels. I'm not for sure the oldest novel I've read. Probably Miz, maybe, before this. The oldest thing I've read was probably the Bible. I've read a large portion of the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, so, yeah. No, Gilgamesh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't even so considering mythology. Back. Yeah, no, I have read Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh is a bit better prose than this is <laughs> for me personally. Dante's <laughs> Inferno. Chunk of I, novel. I, rec- I recommend Gilgamesh if you like mythology. That's where they got it all from. Oh, yeah. Great. So. But, yeah, no. Um, I appreciate that this is not in the era of Dickens or the era in which authors were paid by the word. Mm -hmm. So you don't end up with entire chapters describing scenery, nothing to do with anything. Um, So that's always appreciated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, I think, think the writing style suffers from the opposite problem. You yeah. think it, it's too, uh, is it that it's too light on details or is it, 
I don't know. Even one of the first things that you said when we started reading this book um, was uh, from Jess when she had pointed out the fact that they didn't even name every character. Everybody, everybody is just like a there are like an archetype for yeah. everybody. The psychologist said. The medical man said. The <laughs> is the one who's named. Yeah. Yeah. And our. Um, Our narrator is named at one point, but it's not used repetitively. So oh. says his name. And yeah. I, I marked it because I we were discussing this and I was like, oh wait. If if I had been uh HG Wells and I had written this book, mm-hmm. this would have been the thing I would have told people about as a thing that I was going to do for like years. Because uh, think about it as like an actual storytelling exercise. No one is named. It's purely metaphors throughout the mm-hmm. entire thing. Like yeah. there's so many things about this that would just be a writer's dream oh, for yeah. how to tell a story. It's literally all of the things that you get excited about as a writer. And they ju- he just decided to like put them on a page and say, that's it. Go ahead. Have it. It's like you're having a conversation. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It's written like a conversation, but I just feel like at times it's written more like a lecture. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my god! You've never and read Contact. That's that's no. I I've heard that's why I haven't read it. <laughs> but watched it. Really liked it. But <laughs> yeah, on page uh, sixteen, Jessica. Mm-hmm. For our copy. Yeah. Hey, said the ed- said the editor hilariously. These chaps here say you've been traveling into the middle of next week. Tell us all about little Roseberry, will you? Probably a t- hmm. I think that uh, to me, I read that as tell us about it, Roseberry. Yeah. Yeah. As that being the time traveler's name. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess like in in like that's the only time he's referred to by name. Otherwise, it's just the time traveler. Yeah, or it's it, all in the first person. It's definitely one. Again, like the novel is told as a as it's being retold by someone else about a thing yeah. that happens in the future, being told in the past by someone else who didn't go on the adventure. Again, it's just layers of like how crazy can i make this for myself and not do some of the heavy lifting it's beautiful yeah. in that, the, in that. Yeah. it's the epitome epitome of literary uh telephone yeah yeah so and so told so and told so and so told me mm-hmm. so but with I, go ahead oh no, i was gonna say with with that being said like how did you guys feel about story going forward like should, should we get into plot things at all for anyone sure. who hasn't read it, for anyone who has read it, they're def- they definitely feel the first part of what we're saying here. <laughs> well, so the thing is, is a lot of this. So when I say that it has the opposite problem of somebody like Dickens, where you have mm-hmm. chapters and chapters describing scenes where nothing actually happens on the page. Mm-hmm. This one, because it's told in the retelling of a first-person narrative, mm-hmm. H.G. Wells does a very good job at it, but 
you only see what the very oblivious time traveler sees. So you get no real world building in this first half of the book. Mm. Yeah. You just get kind of his theories that are just kind of like bouncing around in his head that have no coherent rhyme or reason. Mm -mm. And I always have a hard time. I'm like, okay, where are you getting this evidence? Like based off of what you're telling me you're seeing, you haven't seen enough to have any evidence of this. Have have any of you guys ever read any of like the travel diaries, like Lewis and Clark or anything like that? Yes. Does it at all compare to that? Because it's got to be similar, right? All these just like theorizing. It's similar to a certain extent. Well, uh, Clark's looked very much. um, It's very diagrammed and detailed. Today we saw X, Y, Z. Here's how I describe it. This reminds me more of the diary entries you get from the Renaissance period where somebody would go take a steamer boat to Africa for the year and then come back with these wild stories about, you know, people and things that you saw there that just kind of were like, and then you, you know, we as current times looking back at the history that's there go what were you on like, it was like what, what made you th- what made you think like how, how do you think saying the streets were paved with gold made sense like <laughs> yeah so that is what this feels very much like that those are the diary entries in real life that it reminds me of because it is very much like they're pulling these things together, trying to relate to what they know, which I, I get, but they're doing a very bad job at describing it mm-hmm. <laughs> accurately. Because mm-hmm. I just, like, he says he can learn their language. So I guess going into plot, I don't know if this is where we want to go. Somebody please stop. You don't d- dive in. So he says he, he, Flashes forward, you know, as he's starting to tell the story, because the first several chapters are just the demonstration of the toy. <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, should, should we say that part if, if we'll go past it? Um, like, the, the beginning of the thing, uh, he, he starts things off, um, brings in the actual, like, object that would be a small version of the time machine. Mm-hmm. Everyone's impressed, but then when he says, no, I traveled in time, everyone's like, piff poff about it you and just then, made it appear <laughs> yeah and then he like he comes back in um for their next dinner party thing uh dirty and then the tale of his time traveling yeah. uh, adventure is begun yeah and so he talks about you know spinning faster and faster and faster through time and it's all just flashing and he doesn't know where he's at and he finally builds up the courage to pull the lever to stop himself and as per usual with human and human emotions, he just yanks it stopped. Um, mm-hmm. so he crashes it into the ground. And he describes lush jungle. Yeah. And a people that he only kind of describes as being short and very happy. Mm-hmm. That feels like the extent of the description. Yeah, and he lands. Not- he lands in Hobbiton. <laughs> right. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but then there's like a sphinx and like ruins that are ancient. But then also, fe- like, it's just it's a battle in my mind. 
it's a lot. Like, honestly, even having finished the book, I'm still a little back and forth on the inclusion of the Sphinx. Like, okay, so here's my thing. So, okay, there's this jungle. Is it jungle growing over ruins? Have yeah. ruins all been demolished and we're starting from a fresh, you know, slate? Like, mm-hmm. is it the kind, you know, are we talking Amazon jungle? Are we talking, you know, North American forests? Are we talking Siberia, Russia? Like, what are we discussing <laughs> other than it's hot? That's, yep. that's the extent of what we get. Yeah, I imagine not, not even humid, but hot. By yeah. what we know, by what we know of time travel in this book, the rules of time travel for this, I imagine it has to be in the same region where he lived. Yeah, it still has to be in the, in the same point same. of time. The machine doesn't move; it just only moves time. So, uh-huh. but he says, you know, because he talks about Darwin's theory of the planets having to be reabsorbed into the sun. And so, therefore, we're now closer to the actual body of the sun at the point, that mm-hmm. he is, which is why it's warmer. Because he does say he's still in England, which is why I'm like, okay, are there any ruins? Like, is, did they build their own structures? What does, like, because there's not a Sphinx in London. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. Somebody explain to me what we're seeing. And the one that really gets me is he talks about them having a language that he's diligently trying to learn and not able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, but then all of a sudden he can communicate with Weenie. That's how I pronounce that name. I don't know if that's how that. Well, uh, was it Weena? Weena? Weena, yeah. Weena? I think that's how I was saying it. So he's able to communicate with Weena, but he keeps claiming like, oh, I can't really learn this. I can't really learn this language. I'm like, well, clearly you're learning something. Like, <laughs> I mean, like... So uh, it might be like a like a Gulliver kind of situation, you know? Yeah. Like he, he gets it. Like he's like, oh no, Yahoo, win him. Yeah, you know, um, like those kind of things. You get a couple names, but nothing super crazy. Like I, they're, they're not they're not like pontificating. Yeah. <laughs> well, then also a good amount of communication is actually body language too. So maybe he's just picked up on their body language symbols, and that's how he's communicating more. Because I think it, it's really what seventy five percent of communication is through body language over actual but yeah so like it just i feel like he is such an oblivious observer that i'm like my first person narrator like if i am relying on you strictly you have to be more observant (laughs) like i would agree i know part of part of me is like you're a scientist man like where's the objectivity where's just the and i'm like trying to figure out are there children? Are there not children? Are there family units? Are there not family units? Is there some form of structure, like societal structure? Like we get none of that. He seems completely disinterested in any of their actual living. Yeah. I think I think there's a reason for that long term in this story. You, so you have neither read the you've never finished the book i've finished the book okay okay so i think there's a reason for that yeah but i still don't like it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um because like i i think that there's there's a reason that you couldn't necessarily put normal societal things onto it i think he's still explaining it poorly and we're also getting someone else's recollections of it We're, we're getting what's like like when you wake up 
even though you lived a dream, you still tell it like you know, and like you were there, but it wasn't you, and it was like it was you, but like you had like your grandpa's face, but I knew it was you. Yeah. Like it's like that. Fair. Because okay. coming from someone else. Yeah, Dorothy waking up after Oz, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so like that's where I get kind of like and like these first eight chapters, I'm sorry, they drag. They do. They drag so much. For such a short book, they just pack <laughs> so much more into this. Yeah, that was like the longest 50 pages I've ever read. <laughs> In the a longest, fictional book. The longest 50 pages I ever read was the first page of... Oh, I forget the name. <gasps> I lost it. Oh, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Unless you accidentally read it again. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it was a classic. Ah, damn, I can't remember the name. For me, it's uh, fictionally. For me, it's the scene, and it. You'll hear me complain about this one a lot, dear listener. Um, Charles Dickens' a Tale of Two Cities, because I uh-huh. had it many times. That chapter, the entire, it's an entire like three, four page chapter, where he describes the scene where the count gets murdered, but he doesn't actually describe the murder. It's just a cityscape. And he describes what the city looks like at night. You have no indication that anything is actually occurring for that entire three, four pages. It is just describing each and every building in the city at night. And it is beyond obnoxious <laughs> to me. That's the same thing I get hung up on. Like, yeah. it's over, oh, like when someone gets so stuck in gilding a lily that nothing ever happens past a lily. Yeah. Um, but it was it was Oscar Wilde. It was in the beginning of the Portrait of Dorian Gray. Ah, uh, yeah, that's it was awful. But I actually do really like that book. Long term, I like the concept, like overall. But the beginning, I've literally never, ever, ever gotten past the first page. Oh no! S- skip the first chapter. You usually can. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one of these times when we circle back, I'll make you read that one. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> I, it does pick up. It picks up nicely. But yes, you're right. That first chapter is painful. I don't know if I trust this. It's painful. Just listen to it on audio. It'll be fine. That'd be better. Then I can tune it out <laughs> and wake up halfway through the second chapter. Um, like, oh, now it's getting interesting. <laughs> for um, with, with the actual events of the actual story in that one, um, was there anything that you guys thought was um, like the like most interesting? in the actual occurrences of things, or did you find yourself theorizing because of anything early on? Well, obviously I, I think the biggest thing is the revelation that his initial assumption that the world had ended up in a utopian society where everybody was always happy and mm-hmm. there was gender fluidity and there was no real hierarchy to the reality that, oh no, there looks like there is. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely a hierarchy here. Weird white glowing monkey things <laughs> <laughs> coming from the ground. But did, other than that, oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, do, do you guys think that um, his idealized version of the future, um, whether that actually came to pass? or anything or not did you think it was spun in any any particular light in negative or positive or did you take it as a negative or a positive when you said it i 
thought it was spun somewhat as a positive. Yeah. But in a very clinical sense. Like, oh, we probably, because he doesn't really quantitate or qualitate mm-hmm. how we would have gotten to that. Mm-hmm. And I think he wants to think about what it would have taken to get to that point. But he doesn't quite want to put it there. Because to me, it seems like what he might theorize is that it takes, you have to get rid of technology and all the things that he loves in order to reach this idea of utopia and happiness. Because he mentions how the people are happy, the buildings are decaying, they don't have really technology, they don't eat meat, they're only meeting fruit, whatever future fruit they have. And like, I feel like that's what Wells is probably leading to is that in order for us to be happy, we have to kind of sort of get rid of all the superficial. Well, see, and I took it very differently, um, which I think just explains our difference in background. (laughs) To me, it was more of a critique isn't the right word, but an extrapolation of the, political and philosophical theories running around in the late 19th, early 20th century. In mm-hmm. particular, I'm thinking of the concept of communism, not... Yeah. Not, not practical it, application. Not, not a practical application, but the theorization that eventually we will reach a utopian society by continuing to get better on this upward climb, because Mm -hmm. you'll note that, I mean, he puts it all the way at 802,000. I mean, we're currently right now in the year 2000. Yeah. So, I mean, he's looking at this, he's like, okay, if I'm going to take Marx at his word, we're going to have to talk about the time. If I'm going to talk about it in the context of Darwin, we're going to have to take Mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. Because he does, I mean, his character obviously references Darwin frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over and over again. And basically that this utopian society comes by humanity ever progressing towards its optimization and its optimal conquering of the earth. Yeah. To him, this vegetation doesn't represent the Earth's backlash like we talk about in the possibility of climate, you know, mm-hmm. of climate change and what that might look like in the future, because that's always the question. We know it's going to do something, but we don't know necessarily what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But we talk about it very much as a backlash to the crud we're doing to the globe. And he sees it more as we are going to continually conquer it such that the only thing growing is luscious plants that we actually want. See, I took this one for the the reason that these things get to exist in the way that they do, being that at some point in time, humanity got to a point technologically and ecologically, uh, like together, that systems were working at like peak efficiency. Pretty much everything was taken care of. No one has to do anything to maintain something. And then that just languished until that system um, either like essentially like merged with ecology technologically um, or they're just like working alongside each other until they inevitably are going to break down, which is actually where I think 
they're about to get to with the things in this book and how we see things kind of like interacting like um, the two sides of things. I think your assessment is correct for where we end up, but his first assumption I think doesn't operate in that sense. It Mm -hmm. operates in the sense that mankind will conquer all. I like I I guess I just don't I don't see how um I I think mankind would co- would conquer all until the point that you realize oh no I've conquered this so hard <laughs> like I now we need to live like on like I don't on- agree I don't agree with reality don't get me wrong <laughs> like, I mean, like I I think even him like as him because I agree I agree with uh, Justice thing for it also where he thinks like um we have to pull back from things. Mm-hmm to still be able to continue existing as well from like all this techno- technological things. But that's also because of the time period in which that character exists. It's industrial. It's yeah. The thing, that's- it's the thing that caused Tolkien to write about smog as a bad dragon, you know? Yeah. That's where I was pulling from too, was when this took place kind of thing. So when it was written, I should say. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. I think that's the thing that like, where do writers get their inspiration from? Is it the ideas of the time, the reality of the time, the personal lives that they see play out around them? Mm-hmm. It's probably, it's a general big mix of everything. I mean, just, I mean, Darwin would have been talked about about a lot at the end of the 1800s because his paper came out in like the 1850s-ish. So everybody would have been talking about it. And then just general industrialization was very scary for a lot of people. Writers tend to be more empathetic people too. I don't know about that time, but writers... I, I, think, I think it's still the case. Yeah, writers tend to feel for the people a lot more. So they empathize for the people a lot more. So I feel like if I was a writer in that time, I definitely would be writing against industrialization and and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also at the time Darwin was probably still getting a ton of hate for his origin of species. So I mean, it's maintained even up to now. So weird. Weird. Although I, I would be curious because I I agree with you, Jessica, that, that writers tend to empathize with, people but which people who do they see like that's the real question i mean if you're talking in a time period where those that have the ability to write don't come into mm-hmm. contact with the general masses well i i mean i'd have to look up about wells as a person but as far as i know it seems like this was published and as a periodical so yeah. i imagine he wasn't super duper wealthy but i i have no idea i did not bother researching wells probably should have but yeah but it's more writers always tend to be the people that look where other people don't no matter where they're at in society no matter what level they are they they always tend to be that person so i feel like he probably when walking down the street in wherever the wherever he lived, he probably paid attention to the shadows and the alleys and the kids that were working in these industrial fields. And I imagine that's my interpretation of it. That's that's how I am in general. Like I just, you know, when I write, I tend to go out 
and just watch people and look and notice things that a lot of people don't notice. So Yeah, and then build from there. Like take yeah. take something to its like logical conclusion. Mm-hmm. Or illogical conclusion, depending on what you're yeah, writing. Or or illogical. Like you can go either way. <laughs> uh, I guess is there but before we get into the f- the afterward for this one, um, is there anything anyone wants to say about the actual like like any leftover story bits or anything? <laughs> I I kind of sort of hate how he describes the the people. <laughs> like the, the, the Eloy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like I, it's just such a juxtaposition between how he describes them and then also the relationship he builds with Weena is just like. Oh, they're so childlike, but then he's yeah. sort of showing like a relationship with Lena, and you're like, "Whoa!" Like, yeah, yeah. it's weird. <laughs> you start to go mm, societal norms, maybe playing into this in the time period when wives were still, you know, twenty years younger than their husbands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I mean, like, honestly, it does also kind of, to me, a little bit feed into the idea of the travel diaries of people. Yeah. Like, you've got oh, like yeah. your like Pocahontas kind of situations, uh, like Sacagawea, uh, <laughs> all like all your things. Well, Sacagawea, sorry. Um, like you've got all of those situations, you know, and that's kind of a classic one, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, it is. Um, but yeah, so no, I'm with you, Jessica. That one is. Very- <laughs> little cringy <laughs> so oh and it plays out more later on but the hero complex Ugh. that gets implemented like i rescued winnie winna from you know the waters when nobody else of her kind could and then yeah so like Which... take her out on this dangerous thing and then be like oh shoot i i've scared I... you let me protect you yeah i I feel like it is right because it is him directly talking and people tell stories and when they tell stories they overly exaggerate every (laughs) single task that they do which is why i do kind of commend the writing because i was like yeah this does feel like a person telling a story and over exaggerating everything and just talking themselves up i was the the only one who could swim so of course so naturally i just took my clothes (laughs) Just rushed it. <laughs> Take your clothes off. Why exactly? Like it's warm, so clearly you could have just dried off when you got out. But he, he had to dive in, bare chested. <laughs> you know. And she was infatuated with me. Infatuated. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, I guess that's the first eight chapters, roughly. I mean, condensed down. There, there's certainly more detail and everything like that in there. Um, while still having less detail than expected. Uh, the f- the thing that I thought would be a fun one to talk about for this uh, is for as, as an afterward for this first cha- like half of the thing. Footnote. Is the movie. A footnote. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, as a footnote to this one, is the movie with Guy Pierce. So, Jess and I, we've seen this. It's been Look, a while you, since I watched it, but it, you yeah, remember exactly how, like, what it was, though, the for the purposes of it being so crazy different from this. So crazy different. Like, I don't know. I think I think I did it a disservice re- watching the movie first and then reading this because then I was like, "But where's the, where's the conflict?" <laughs> like, honestly, so it's, much conflict. 
It's such a weird one to look at. So for for this one, uh, Elizabeth, the, the way that the movie goes is that uh, Guy Pierce, very handsome. Uh, he's he's married, uh, and his wife. Does she? I forget if she becomes ill or no. No, she, she doesn't become ill. Uh, she she dies in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So he makes a time machine, and then he goes back to stop it from happening. And it whatever, just whatever it is, cycles through over and over and over again, and then all of a sudden he just he realizes he can't change it, so he then. Yeah. Gets- takes off goes forward it just goes forward but he stopped like my like i think the thing that i liked about the going forward in the movie was that he stopped and he slowly saw the destruction of the world yeah he like saw how it got to that point the thing i liked the thing i liked about it because it like it literally has all of the hallmarks of taking Mm -hmm. one thing and then adapting it into a whole hollywood story um was like as much as i hate it one of the most interesting kernels of the whole movie is the part with his wife. So the whole reason that um, he ends up going forward and everything is that he can't stop his wife from dying because mm-hmm. the reason that he invented the time machine is because his wife died. So once yeah. he uses the time machine to go forward or once he uses the time machine, he essentially can't use a time machine for anything because it's invented by her death. Yeah. So he's there ensuring that she will die every single time. Yeah. That's like, to me, like, that's- 12-year-old, 13-year-old Steven, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, it really took that first chapter in the book of him describing the fourth dimension, and it's like, to me, you kind of saw a visual of it, like, Mm -hmm. how it's a line, like, you can't jump, which... They also truly did not stay true to the description of... Oh, no, <laughs> no, he's like Matthew McConaughey and Sahara in this. Like he's just like he's orange and like he's so sweaty, but you see all his muscles because he's sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hollywood. <laughs> but yeah, so like in this, it's an it's a really interesting thing that uh, it, it, it's rare that now at this point in my life I get to think of something that I saw as the Hollywood version first and then go back to the original thing and be like, actually, no, you know what? I like both of these. <laughs> Usually I come down to a point where I'm like, Oh, the, the original version of this was so much better. Cause the original version is usually something that first, first and foremost, you experience that first. Second, yeah. it's usually a version of something where you read it or experienced it in another way that's more personalized to you. Uh, so no, nothing can ever beat that. But yeah. I just I can't yeah. I I don't think of I can't think of anything else where I like the Hollywood version more. Yeah. No, I can't. I guess it's probably a more compelling story because they add a reason as to why he's building the time machine is ju- instead of just being, you know, the usual scientist who yeah. like the tinker. Which I don't hate the reason in the book cuz that's what scientists do, they just build for the sake of science. It's just that sometimes when he talks I was like He's not very scientific <laughs> mm. because like a scientist would have taken a journal with him, which I don't know if maybe later on you find out, but he would have had a journal with him and on his journey and been writing down everything and diagramming. But I don't know if, if I missed it or not. Not sure he intended to really go as far forward as he did. It's true. Remember he tried to just Five start. hours. And he got five hours, and then he's like, okay, well, maybe I'll just go a little bit farther. And then he started going. He was like, he couldn't bring himself to stop. 
Yeah, I feel like a scientist always has to have a little moleskin journal on. I'm sorry. Stereotyping. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just always, <laughs> always. I always have a journal on me. But, um, I don't know. I guess, like, at this point in the book, would you guys recommend this book to anybody? Mm. Oh, there's a lot of silence here, audio listeners. Um. Like only my friends that read classics. Yeah. I could think of one person just that would read it. I guess if what you're looking for is if somebody were to, I would recommend it to another writer who was looking for inspiration as to how to do a first person story. Yeah. While it drives me crazy that there isn't any detail. Mm-hmm. It's very accurate. Most of us do not walk around observing everything that's around us. Mm-hmm. We observe only the thing that interests us. So if you're trying to write a first-person novel, mm-hmm. this is a good example of how to do that accurately. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating. Uh, <laughs> Uh, do you think that holds true for you, Jess? Like, is this one that you would have recommended to little baby Jess looking to write a first person book? Uh, little baby Jess would, would not read this. <laughs> like, too busy with your nose buried in a Mercy Thompson book? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Little, little baby Jess is not reading classic sci-fi. Um, that was until I chose to read it later on in high school. Did I start reading classics for fun and appreciating them more? But uh it, it it is a good example of it's also a good example of long dialogue too because i yeah it's because dialogue can be something that a lot of writers struggle with especially when it's long paragraph forms like that and getting the the rhythm of somebody talking naturally and and this has a lot of good good moments of it there's a there's a few flaws in it but i feel like that's more for plot sake like not wanting to get rid of everything because when people naturally talk especially about stories as long as this they're probably going to talk about the end frequently over like they jump in time and he doesn't jump a lot within his story so that's a little unrealistic but um but definitely the style of of the dialogue is is a good representation of so how did you written storytelling yeah Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, at this point, should we tell people where they can find us and other Geek Elite Media things? I guess we should, but first, maybe where they can find everybody out there. Um, so, Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me across all social media as either Peppermint Gentleman, singular, or Peppermint Gent. And Jessica, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter as JM Bailey Writes. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at Geek Elite Media. Our Facebook page is forward slash Geek Elite Media. If you like this podcast, please rate and subscribe us on wherever you're getting your podcasts. It helps us get uh, seen out there and hopefully give us a review and let us know what we can do better, how to change. Uh, archived episodes of well, what will be archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found at geekelitemedia.com until next time we don't have a sign out yet <laughs> uh, keep keep turning some pages keep turning pages <laughs> <laughs>
dear listeners, until you give us a better sign at, until next time, keep turning. Keep running pages. <laughs> <laughs>